We've been talking on Sunday mornings about taking a leap. We've been talking about faith and what it means to have faith and trust in God, to believe that he can do anything, to believe that he can do everything. And we've been talking about different stories from the Bible that, where people did, displayed and demonstrated great faith. Today is no different. Today is the story that we're going to talk about that, that seems impossible. And we're going to talk about that very thing today. We're going to talk about having a bold faith, boldly asking for God to do what seems impossible. In James chapter 4, verse 2. In James chapter 4, verse 2, he writes, You do not have because you do not ask God. In the King James Version, it says, Ye have not because ye ask not. Now, before you think that I'm going off on a tangent about, you know, some kind of gospel, uh, a prosperity gospel that, you know, all you got to do is ask and God will give you whatever you want. Let me just clarify this, that in James chapter four, verse three, he says, the reason that you do not get what you ask for is because you ask with wrong motives so that you can get, uh, you can take what you get and spend it on your own selfish desires and, and on worldly pleasures. And so that's not what James is advocating at all. He's not advocating some kind of health and wealth gospel. Um, there's a difference between asking for a million dollars so you can feed the homeless and asking for a million dollars so you can drive a Ferrari. Okay? It's not the same thing. But I'm intrigued by this passage, by this little verse. It's, the little, it's even the second half of, of James 4, 2. Ye have not because ye ask not. What are we not asking for? What, do we, what doubts do we have? Why don't we ask God for what may even seem impossible? Why don't we ask why don't we go to him and pray bold prayers and approach the throne of grace with confidence, beseeching God to move and to act on our behalf? Why don't we pray bold prayers? I think about um, some doubts that we may have. I think there are two primary doubts that keep us from asking God bold things and for asking bold prayers. And the first thing is that we doubt God's Greatness. You think about a little kid, right? When you're a little kid and the prayer that you pray, what prayer do we pray? God is great. God is good, right? How many of you ever pray, God is great, God is good? Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Okay, we used to do it every night when I was growing up. God is great. God is good. Little kids get it, but adults don't. We doubt God's greatness. We doubt his power. As though he were doing something else so much more important. Have you ever heard somebody say that? That, oh, I, I, I don't want to bother God. You don't want to bother God? Well, God's got bigger things to worry about. God has what? God has bigger things to worry about? Why limit God's greatness? Well, no, he's got, a, he's got you know, peace in the Middle East and the, the tsunamis over in the, the, the Pacific and, and uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that God is worried about. He couldn't possibly have time to worry about my problem. That limits God's greatness. That limits what God is able to do. And as far as I can tell from my studies of scripture and from my personal uh, interaction with God, there is nothing that God cannot do. 
God can do anything. We sang the songs earlier, the song earlier, all things are possible. For God, anything and everything is possible. There is nothing that is impossible for God. He is great. He is all-powerful. There is nothing that God cannot do. But see, we, we, we buy into this idea that maybe God is just kind of great. No, God is great. The second doubt that we have is that God is good. Well, God is kind of great. God is sort of good. As though we doubt his love for us. Well, you don't understand, Sean. You don't understand. I haven't been very faithful lately. I haven't been very good. I, I, I've, I've committed a few sins that I'm not very proud of. And, and I haven't been to church very much lately. It's summertime, you know, I've been busy, got this going on, that going on. And, and I haven't been to church very much. As though God's ability and desire to answer your prayers depends on how many stars you have on your attendance chart in heaven, or it depends on how many cosmic timeouts you deserve. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't, we don't earn his favor. We don't earn his love. It is a free gift of his grace that he has poured out on every single one of us. It is dependent upon God. Like I said, little kids get this, this idea that God is great, God is good. And when we get older, we think, no, maybe he's not so great. Maybe he's not so good. That is false. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for everything. So we doubt. We don't think God either can do it or will do it. We doubt sometimes his ability. We doubt sometimes his willingness. And that's why we don't pray big prayers to our God who can do anything and everything. We don't pray these. We pray prayers that couldn't move a molehill, let alone move a mountain. Jesus, what did he say? If you have faith the size of a... You can move a... And like I said, we, we pray prayers that would barely move a molehill. We don't ask God to do the amazing. We don't ask God to do the outstanding. We don't God, ask God to do the impossible. And I believe that we need to do that because we have a God who is able to do the impossible. Jesus said that everything with God is possible. All things are possible with God. There is nothing that is impossible. I cannot express this enough. I cannot stress this enough. I cannot. If you walk out of here this morning without, any, without understanding anything, understand this. Nothing is impossible for God. All right? Nothing is impossible for God. There is nothing that God cannot accomplish. There is nothing that God cannot do. Sean, you don't understand. You don't understand my problems. What about my financial situation, my financial needs? God is able to provide. My relationships are broken. God is able to heal. My, I have, I'm sick. My body is ill and, and I'm broken down. God can heal your body. What about that heart of bitterness that, that I have? I'm just so angry and resentful and bitter. God can soften your heart. You don't know the sins I've committed, the things that I've done, these egregious sins I've committed. God can forgive the worst of sinners. See, all things are possible for God. There is nothing that is impossible for God. Well, God, God can fix 
everybody else's problems, but he can't fix my problems. Why not? Why not? Is your burden so big that God can't carry it? Is your financial situation so bad that God cannot provide for your needs? Is your relationship so broken that God can't fix it? Is your burden too heavy that God can't carry it? Is your sin so egregious that God can't forgive it? Absolutely not. If you believe that there is something, if you believe that there is something that God cannot do, then you and I believe in different gods. Because the God I believe in can do anything and can do everything. The God I believe in is the God of the impossible. The God who can do anything and everything. He can move mountains. He can forgive sins. He can change hearts. He can even make the sun stand still in the sky. If you have a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 10. If you can locate a Bible, which you should be able to because they're in all the pews. Turn to Joshua chapter 10. The Israelites had signed a, a peace treaty with the Gibeonites, the people of Gibeon. They had signed this peace treaty with them, and the five kings of the Amorites decided that they were going to go to war against the Gibeonites. So the king of Gibeon sends a message to Joshua and says, Joshua, they're coming to attack us. Remember our peace treaty, come and save us. I like what God says in verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. The Israelites were at a place called Gilgal. It's 20 miles away from Gibeon. They march all night, all night, to get to Gibeon, where the Amorites are poised to attack the Gibeonites. They march 20 miles all night long, and they arrive early the next morning, and they ambush the Amorites. Now, imagine being up all night. Some of you have been there. Some of you have done that. You've either been in college or you've had a baby. Imagine being up all night, and then the next day having to battle five kingdoms of Amorites. You may not know what an Amorite is, but uh, they, they were the enemies of the Israelites, and they were going to war. So you've been up all night, you've marched 20 miles, and now it's time to go into battle. And God tells Joshua, do not be afraid, I have given them into your hand. We flip over to... Verse 10, chapter 10, verses 10 through 13. Sorry. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Apparently, Joshua never had a physics class 
or an astronomy class. Because the sun doesn't stop in the sky. Yet he makes this bold, audacious, daring request of God. O Lord, make the sun stand still. Keep the moon from coming up. Keep the sun from going down. That doesn't make sense, does it? Not at all. But he makes this bold request, and that is the first blank on your outline on page three of your bulletin. It is a bold request. Joshua makes this bold request of God to make the sun stand still in the sky. Stephen Furtick is a pastor out in North Carolina, and he wrote a book called Sun Stand Still. And he calls this story of Joshua and the sun standing still in the sky uh, an example of audacious faith. I looked up the word audacious in the dictionary, on dictionary.com, and the word audacious literally means extremely bold or daring. Extremely bold or daring. I would say that asking God to make the sun stand still, to defy gravity, to defy physics, to defy the laws of nature and science, that is an extremely bold, that is a daring request of God. I think back to James chapter 4, verse 2. Ye have not, because ye ask not. Joshua knew that if the sun goes down, his guys are just going to collapse from exhaustion, from battling all day after marching all night, and they're going to get throttled. The Amorites hadn't been marching all night. The Amorites hadn't been, they had been fighting all day, but if the sun goes down, things are going to fall apart quick. And so what does he do? He makes this bold, daring, audacious request of God to make the sun stand still in the sky. And God listened. The second blank on your outline is a God who listened. Listen to verses 14 and 15. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And then Joshua returned with all the Israel to the camp at Gilgal. God listened to Joshua. God listens to his people. God listens to our prayers. We'll make excuses. Well, God's too busy. He's got too much stuff going on. God's too busy to listen to your prayers. God is too busy to care about your needs and your requests, me, your requests, your prayers. Think about this for a second. Jesus said that God knows the very numbers of hair, number of hairs that are on your head. That's a pretty mundane little factoid for God to know. I mean, he's God. Yet he knows the number of hairs on your head. Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount that not a sparrow falls from the sky without God knowing about it. A sparrow. What, what's a sparrow? It's a, 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 essentially just a, a worthless little bird. Yet God is so intimately concerned and cares for his creation so much that he knows how many hairs are on your head or used to be on your head, depending on the case. And he knows when a bird, a, a meaningless, worthless little bird falls from the sky because God cares and God loves his creation. He is never too busy. He is never too preoccupied. That is to limit God, like I said before. That is to limit the God who is limitless. 
God is so intimately concerned and he cares so much about his creation that he is concerned with every little detail. He knows every little detail of it. He knows your hurts. He knows your heart. He knows the, the tears that you cry at night. He knows that the, the, the pain that you feel each day. He understands. He sees it and he cares. I think about a story of Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and a, a great storm comes up and the boat is being tossed around and, and Jesus is sleeping in the boat and his disciples come to him and they say, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? How many times do we feel like that when it comes to praying to God that our souls just cry out to him, don't you care? And from heaven above, he cries out to us back, yes, I do. I love you. I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. That I gave my son as a sacrifice so that we could be together for eternity. I, so that you wouldn't have to suffer for eternity in hell. But I have given my son for you. And you might spend eternity with me in paradise. That's how much he loves us. That is how much he is concerned. He knows and he cares. He loves you. And he loves me too. So much so that he does more than just listen to our bold requests, but he moves. God moves. That's the third blank on your outline. A God who moved. Like I said, he defies the laws of physics. He defies the laws of gravity. He defies the laws of science. I don't know how he did it, but I know that he did. Because the Bible tells me that he did. And if this story isn't true, then I don't know if I can trust any of it. And because I believe that the Bible is true, I believe that this story is true. Scientists may not be able to prove it. They may not be able to figure it out. But you know what? Maybe it's not ours to figure out. Maybe it's ours to take on faith. You see, God moves when his people start praying. What do we do when it comes time to pray? Or when, when a situation arises in our lives and things are really tough and things are really hard and we don't know what to do and we try everything that we can by our own efforts. We try and we try and we try. We try and manipulate situations. We try and make this happen and, and work this deal and we try and do all these things and it doesn't work out. And then what do we say? I guess we might as well pray. Prayer becomes the last resort. What a lack of faith. Why not go to God at the beginning and say, God... There is no way I can do this. There is no way that I can make this work. I am helpless. This is impossible for me. But I know, Father God, I know, Sovereign Lord, that there is nothing that is impossible for you. You can heal my broken heart. You can fix my broken relationship. You can provide for my many needs. You can forgive my many sins. I trust you, God. And so I boldly ask in the name of Jesus, that you would work in my life. That if the sun has to stand still in my life, that you would make it stand still. That is the God that we believe in. That is the God who is able to do the impossible, for whom nothing is impossible. We have to trust God and believe that he can do anything, for nothing is impossible with God. Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans was doing a, a crusade in South Carolina, in Columbia, at a football stadium. And it comes time for the crusade. It's getting to be about 7 o'clock at night, and the weather reports were terrible. Huge thunderstorms coming right for them in Columbia, South Carolina. Huge thunderstorms coming. 
And all these local ministers are there and pastors are there and church leaders are there and they're all talking. Uh, what are we going to do? And there's talk of canceling the, the crusade because it's just too dangerous. It's just too dangerous. What are we going to do? So the pastors decided to have a prayer meeting. They had this prayer meeting. And Tony Evans says that most of the pastors prayed what he would call very safe prayers. They prayed safe prayers. And then a woman named Linda asked if she could pray. There were thousands of people who had gathered to hear the gospel that night. Thousands of people who, this may be their only chance to hear about how Jesus Christ died for their sins. And this is what she said. She said, it would be a shame on your name for us to have all these unbelievers go without the gospel when you control the weather and you don't stop it. And I love this. She says, in the name of Jesus Christ, address this storm. And the prayer meeting ended. The pastors walk out. The skies are threatening. There's dark clouds and thunder in the distance. And they they walk out on stage and they start to address the crowd and say, we don't know what's going to happen there. The the rain's in the forecast, but we just don't know what to do. And some umbrellas start to pop up in the crowd. Some of the pastors pull out their umbrellas. One even pulled up his umbrella and, and offered it to Linda. And Linda said, no. And then... As the storm approached the stadium, the clouds split in two. It rained on both sides of the stadium and came back on the other side. True story. Tony Evans asked the question, what did Linda get that the pastors didn't get? And this is what he said. How did Linda get what the preachers didn't? She had the boldness, the shameless audacity to ask. Linda took a leap.